Turn in your Bibles this morning to Haggai chapter one, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to, to look that up in case you need it. <laughs> if you're struggling, go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, go back three books and just probably a couple pages, uh, not a large book in your Bible, but uh, we're going to dig in and the Lord has some, some good things for us in store. I want to encourage you, if you're a member of our church this coming Wednesday night, we're going to have a members meeting right here at 615. And I'm going to ask you, I think it's a big deal to be a member of a church. And so when we have a members meeting, I'm going to ask you to make that a priority and to come. There's nothing earth shattering that, uh, that we're going to end with, but I'm going to give a heart to heart is what I'm going to call it. I just want to kind of share some things on my heart for our church. And, uh, and it's an opportunity. Sometimes we can share things that we don't or can't share on Sunday morning. And so if you're a member of our church, I want to encourage you to come Wednesday night to be part of that fellowship of the body uh, uh, coming together in the process. Well, the, the year was 586 BC. Um, the temple was destroyed. Babylon had come in. The city was in ruins. Um, many had been taken into captivity back to Babylon. Many young people, if you know Daniel from the Bible, he's one of those that gets taken. And now you have, you have what had been a normal part of of their life, and, and for sure, a, a statement of security, the temple of God, Solomon's temple that he had built, a grand, glorious temple uh, to God, now was, was destroyed. Now we, we see like guys like Daniel, they've got to be in, in a foreign land, faithful to what God has called, but it's not the same. They're not sacrificing in, in the temple. They're, they're praying toward Jerusalem. We see that. Daniel ends in the lion's den, you know, because of that, and God sees him through, but he's praying faithfully. They're reading the scriptures. They're hoping and longing for the day when they might return. And 48 years later from that captivity, uh, Cyrus now is ruling in Persia, and, and Cyrus is like, you know what? I'm kind of a pantheistic kind of guy. You worship your God, you worship your God, that's all good. Hey, yeah, let some of the, the folks go back uh, who are from Jerusalem, build the temple of their God. It all will mesh, and we'll, we'll build this great, great dynasty. And so uh, can you imagine the, the word that goes through the people as they go, hey, we're going to get to go back, or a certain group are going to get to go back? And we estimate about 50,000 came back from captivity with that first wave of people. And so after 48 years, think about it. If you were 10 when you got ripped from your home and family, now you're 58 and you're traveling back. With the goal and the purpose, their desire was to see the worship of God restored through the temple, the way that God had prescribed his worship to be in the sacrifice for sins of animals. They were gonna get to restore that. How exciting that must be have been in the process. And Ezra chapter three in the Old Testament tells us that the first year they rebuilt the, the, some of the foundation and they, they rebuilt the altar and they started sacrifices again. It was a good start to the process. But as often does, when we're doing something for the Lord and for the worship of the Lord, there's opposition. See, there were people who had moved into their territory who didn't really appreciate them coming back. They certainly didn't want the temple built and so they were, they were not too thrilled with the, the prospects. And so with the opposition, the people said, you know what, let's just let things simmer down. Let's let them cool off. We're going to stop building for now. And year two, you know what, it's still there. We got to do it. But hey, there's some other things we got to be about, right? We need, we need uh, our, our own places. We need uh, probably got uh, some of the younger ones got married, started having kids. Year two, year three, year four. Now you got uh, school and you got sports and you got plays and you got ballet. And, and uh, now six, seven, 10, 11. Now we're at 17 years. 17 years 
that the, the worship of God, the temple has not been restored, still in ruins. But praise God that he loved them enough to disrupt what had become now an apathy. See, they just got busy. They began to run the rat race. And, and I don't think they were anti-temple building. Yeah, they, they believed they needed to do it. There were just some things that came first in their life. They had to do first. Eventually, we'll get there. When the kids graduate, they get off. Now we'll have time to invest in the worship of God. But for now, we, we don't. And the epidemic of effort, now they're busy sowing and reaping. They got jobs. They're, 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 they're trying to, to, to make a life for themselves turned into an apathy of worship. Just wasn't important anymore. And so God comes to a man by the name of Haggai, and this is where we start. This is, this is where we, we get going. It says like this, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So God loves them enough to disrupt this apathy, and he sends the word through Haggai. Who's Haggai? That's a good question. We don't know a whole lot about him. He's not in a lot of other places. And so uh, his name means like festive or, or festival. And so people surmise maybe he was born during a, a Jewish feast or something like that. It doesn't say, sometimes prophets, it's like so-and-so the son of someone. We don't know who his father was, probably because his father wasn't that important. It's not like, oh, that's, that's the Haggai you're talking about, the son of, of so-and-so. We, we don't know. And then we don't know how, he, how it ends for Haggai. We don't know the end of his life. He, he's just on the scene for a very short time and then goes away. And I think that's kind of the point here, that God uses an ordinary person who chooses not to be apathetic in the worship of God, who chooses not to just go along the way that everyone else does and say, yeah, it's something, it's cool, but it's not the priority of my life. No, for Haggai, he was simply obedient to do what God had called him to do. And we have a book that's incredibly applicable to us today because of his obedience. And it was incredibly applicable to them as well. It's pretty cool. Haggai gives us a, a, a pretty neat thing. He tells us the exact date that the word of the Lord came to him. It was in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month. This is new moon. And, and so they, they uh, historians tell us we can, we can pinpoint that date as August 29th, 520 BC. When, when the new moon came about that year in that cycle, which tells us this is the harvest season. And for an agrarian society, they, they, they needed the harvest. This was like their Black Friday of the year. This is when it, it counted. So you can see that tension. And, and we learned that they've had some rough years in the past. So God calls Haggai to the message. And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, those people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. God tells Haggai, he says, hey, the people out there, they're saying not yet. It's not time. We're too busy. We'll get to it. Other things come first. Now, the tabernacle and the temple were the place that God dwelled with his people. If you remember, it was created as an opportunity for God to dwell with his people. How can a holy God, one who cannot look on sin, dwell in the midst of people who are sinners? 
And so in his, an act of grace, he said, look, when somebody sins, somebody dies. And so there must be an animal sacrifice uh, so that I can dwell with you. And so they created an opportunity first through the tabernacle, which was movable, and then through the temple where God could dwell in the Holy of Holies, his presence dwelt. And those sacrifices day and night and night and day before him, incense arising before him, which allowed him to dwell with a, a sinful people. And, and he says, look, people are saying this isn't important. There are other things more important than God dwelling with us. They had greater priorities than restoring the worship of God. Like I said, I don't think it's that they didn't want to. But here's the thing, and it's true in our lives too. The urgent will always steal from the important. There are urgent things that we're like, oh, we got to take care of that now. But in, in hindsight, do we really? Or is that stealing from the most important things of our life, which God has called us to? I, I tell you, there is not more urgent things that come to my mind than when I try to sit down and worship the Lord through a personal quiet time. Man, there are so many urgent things I got to take care of. There are, there's nothing more urgent than what could be accomplished on Sunday morning than the people of God coming in here to worship and to sit down and to sing. I mean, what else could you accomplish from your, your timeline? But there are some things more important than the urgent. And that's what God is calling his people to. Keep going, look at verse three. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? People are saying it's not yet time, but God reminds them that they've had time to finish their own houses in these 17 years. Um, my house is still in ruins. Yours looking pretty good. Now, God's not talking about like 1950s paneled houses um, as, as trendy as those are. Uh, what, what that paneled means is, is literally covered or finished houses. But there is a connotation to that that they're nice. They've invested time, effort, money into their living conditions. So somewhere along the way, we can surmise that instead of, of building the temple, they've said, hey, we've got to get our own houses in order. In Ezra, it tells us that Cyrus actually gave money for the building of the temple to buy lumber from Lebanon so that the temple could be built. So it at least begs the question of what they were doing, how they had paneled houses when they didn't have any means of themselves even to the possibility, could they have taken what was set apart for God's house and built their own? We'll get to that. This comes more important. And God calls out their hypocrisy. He said, look, guys, you've had time to complete your house, just not mine. And in fact, your house is looking pretty good. It's finished well. You've made a lot of effort in your house to the expense of my house, the worship of God. See, there's a distinction. I think this is important today that we don't, we don't grasp sometimes. There's a distinction of what is set apart from the Lord. I, I hear all the time, and it's true. Hey, Ben, I can worship the Lord building my house. I can worship the Lord on the golf course or, or uh, fish or, or playing soccer or whatever that may be or, or uh, singing or whatever. And, and the answer is that's true. You can. But oftentimes that's in the context of, hey, I don't need to be a part of the church or the people of God. Other things can come on Sunday morning because I can worship him anywhere. And what this shows us is there's a distinction for what has been set apart from the Lord. That we can do all those things in worship 
in addition to, not the exception of what he's called us to do in the worship of God. Let me explain what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to talk a lot about the rebuilding of the temple as we go through Haggai. Don't miss the direct application for the believer in the New Testament. Paul calls the church the temple. We are the temple. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. When the people gather together, when we come together and worship the Lord together, here in our midst, he dwells. That's in 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 6, he extends the metaphor to say, what know you not, that your body is the temple. We, we sometimes know that part, but the part about the church being the temple, and I think what Paul's saying is, when we're not gathered here, we're still the church. We're still the temple as we go into our neighborhoods in our, in our context. The, the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is, don't play with sexual sin. Why? Because your body is the temple. When you gather as the church, this is the dwelling place of God. And as you leave this place to go other places, it's still the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, which means we don't take other things that are great to worship with. And by the way, do it. Play golf to the glory of God. Go fish. Build your house to the glory of God. But don't take those things and put them in place of what God has prescribed to us as the temple, the dwelling place of God. Does that make sense? So as we look at, at what they've done, he reminds them, hey, your houses are looking great. Mine's still in ruins. There's a problem here. Look at verse five. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is worn. Notice this last one. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Man, you're putting money in your pocket and there's holes and it's just flying away. All this effort, God's saying, you're trying so hard to build your life. You're trying so hard to build not just your home, but your life. You're sowing much. Usually the law of the harvest is what you sow, you're going to reap more of. But in this situation, they're reaping less of what they're sowing. He says, you eat, but it's not enough. In other words, they're coming to payday and the weekend before payday, they're having to result with ramen noodles and ketchup packets from Chick-fil-A to make ends meet. They drink, but they're not full. The wine that's coming from their grapes is lacking. It's not what it should be at this time of year. It says you clothe yourself, but no one is warm. Kind of a prophetic thing for this morning for us. He's talking about the quality and the quantity of, of what's needed to make clothes is not there. And then you work and you make money. You work hard and you make money and it gets put in a bag with holes in it. It flies away. Can I say, I think I've experienced the hand of the Lord in some of these things in my own life and heart. There have been times in my life and heart when, when in genuine, my priority of worship has been right and my bank account has been low. And I've seen God extend things like cars that still worked or gas that still went beyond what, what should have because God's been faithful to provide. On the flip side, can I also say I've experienced that? 
You get to that place where you get some things paid off and you're like, wow, this next paycheck, I can spend on me. Like, finally, uh, there's a list of things I'd like to do and, and my heart begins to not say, Lord, what do you want to do? And my priority's not to the worship of God. And you know what invariably happens? Transmission. Or brakes, or tires. Why? Because God loves us too much to bless misplaced priorities. And that's what he's calling them to do. In fact, he's really saying, and notice the, the two things. It's your house and it's my house. Your houses look nice on the inside. My house is in ruins. But if you realize that in my house, you could find everything full because your house, though finished on the outside, is in ruins on the inside. Yeah, your house is finished, but your cupboards are bare. There's ruins on the inside, even though it's finished on the outside. They were living in houses, but internally their lives were in ruins. Can I just tell you, we live in a society with some beautiful houses. Think about it a minute, of the home you live in. And maybe it's, it's grand and marvelous. Man, there's certainly some beautiful houses around Fort Worth. My family and I love at Christmas time. We go travel around to those neighborhoods and, uh, and love to look at lights and marvel at the beautiful houses. Friends, understand, God's not saying there's anything wrong with that. And maybe today you're like, yeah, my house isn't that nice. But, but chances are, not everybody, apparently, there were some that didn't wake up with heat, but most woke up with heat this morning. And you know what, that puts us way ahead than many, many people throughout history. You've got a nice house when it comes to the, the reality of history, okay? We live in nice houses, but we live in a culture where the inside of those houses are in ruins. And God says, if you'll put the worship of me first, if you'll, if you'll take the, worship, the ruins of worship and rebuild it, then I'll take care. I'll give you what you need to accomplish my will. So today, as we, as we come to, to a close, I, I want us to stop. This is in the first of four messages Haggai's gonna bring, and, and, and it's just halfway through, but I want us to stop here because I don't think it's right to go on to the rest without actually doing what God's called the people to do, his people, and that's to consider your ways. To stop, to pause, to say, okay, where is my heart set? Where am I focused on in worship? What temple are you building? Is it a temple to yourself? A temple to your effort? A temple so people can go, man, look at him or her. He's, they're awesome. Or are we building the, the worship of God? And then when are we building it? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get more involved in the, in the body, the temple, the church at a later date. Or I'll, I'll get more serious about my personal time with God someday. But, but boy, <laughs> the classes start this week and the assignments are due and there's just other things more important. Consider the priority of worship. Consider your ways by considering the priority of worship. When Jesus came to this earth, it was because we were in ruins. Our sin had caused us to be far from God. And rather than just worship in a, in a place with continual animal sacrifice, Jesus took on that sacrifice for us so that the Holy of Holies now is rent in two. 
There's no such thing as a, a temple where God dwells in Jerusalem. Now he dwells within the church and within us. We are the dwelling place of God. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, today I would, I would encourage you, your life, if you look at it and consider it and say, man, my life is in ruins, would you come and experience the beauty of a life that's not centered around yourself, but of the worship of the one who is greater than you and who came to earth to die for you and is coming again to rule and reign. Why is that important? Here's why. Because priorities determine obedience. What is the priority in your life will be what you obey. If you're your job is the priority of your life, then that comes first. And so whatever they ask of you to do, you're gonna obey because that's the priority. If your kids are the, the priority of your life, then whatever they ask you to do or whatever they wanna be involved in, that comes first. So, hey, whatever it is, we're gonna do. God's just reminding the, the people that, hey, we're called to a higher priority than to worship our kids or our job or money or stuff or education. First comes the worship of God. Don't live in a house that's finished, but the worship of God is in ruins. So consider the priority of, of worship. And then second, I would just encourage us from the text to consider the results of the worship. It's really God's kind of pulling a Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? How's it working for you to, to be trying so hard and coming up with so little? I want, to, I want to ask us today, is your soul flourishing under the direction of the worship of God? Or if you were to be honest, would you say, you know what, Ben, I kind of struggle. I relate to, to the Israelite people. It's a little apathetic. It's, I'm, I'm not anti. It's just something I do. But, but actually to, to make God the priority of my life, I, just not, not there. Consider inside, not just the outward appearance. You guys look good today in the outward, but in the inward. Would you say, you know what, if I were to be honest, yeah, I put on a good front, but the inward's in ruins. And I recognize that it's because the priority of the worship of God has come second to other things. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you're like, yeah, I get it. I don't have money right now to pay the rent. Maybe it's spiritual ruins in your life. You're like, man, I used to, I remember back in the day, we're gonna get here in Haggai where they're like, man, the old temple was awesome. I remember back in the day when the worship of God was priority. It's no longer anymore. My spiritual life, it's in ruins. Maybe you say, I put on a good front. Mentally, I'm a mess. Or emotionally, I'm a mess. I want you to hear me. Flourishing doesn't mean outward circumstances always go away. But remember what we talked about last week. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means we have confidence that all these things will be added, that he's going to take care of what we need to do his will. We don't have to worry about that as we seek his kingdom. He will provide. So how's it working out for you? the object of worship in our lives. So in just a minute, I'm gonna encourage us to worship the Lord, but worship maybe in a different way. To worship the Lord through reflection, because that's what the call of the text is. Consider your ways. You may choose to pull out your, your phone and to look at your calendar and say, 
God, from this calendar, who's first? Is it you? Do you get priority? Or are there other things that, to be honest, just, they come first? You may choose to, to get out your bank statement and do the same. To think about this last week in your life, to reflect, to consider our ways as the temple of God and say, look, where, where is the house good, looking good? But inside we're in ruins. And here's the awesome thing about being a Christian. We worship through reflection and then we worship through repentance. We get the opportunity at any time of the day, all times when the Lord reveals an area of our life where he doesn't come first, we get the opportunity to repent. To repent simply means to turn, to stop, to turn and to pursue something else. I'm not gonna pursue, this has become an idol for me. This has become an, a, an avenue of worship for me. I'm gonna stop pursuing that as an avenue of worship. I'm gonna pursue him priority number one. That's simply what repentance is. So would you bow your heads this morning? We're gonna take a minute before we sing. Sometimes singing in worship can mess us up with the reflection of worship. You and the Lord, Consider your ways. Who comes first? Lord, in this place, you get priority. Jesus has saved us, transformed us, and you've called us to rebuild and to build the worship of God in our lives as a fragrant offering to you. So I pray this time of response would be that in our lives. Lord, give us the grace to repent. And then Lord, help us to live and worship you as we leave this place, the temple of God within us, as we've gathered and now go. We'll give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand, but you need to be stay seated and, and do business with the Lord. You're welcome to. The altar's open. I love the altar because sometimes I can leave something here and next week I'm reminded that I left it here. If the Lord's calling you to do that. If you need prayer, we're here. We're available. You do business with the Lord as he calls. Let's sing.